Welcome to another episode of Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Kirsten Holder, and today we're talking with Michael Dickerson about destigmatizing mental health. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is this is great. And I'm a podcast lover. So when you reached out to me and you said be on a podcast, I'm like, absolutely. So <laughs> Well, that, you know, speaking of, I am very nervous and also excited for this conversation today because I'm a big fan of your podcast. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Michael does the spillover effect. And if you're not familiar with Michael, he is the founder and president of the Dickerson Consulting Group, which is an HR consulting firm in Oklahoma City. He's a licensed counselor, a career coach, and of course the host of, like I said, the awesome, just life-giving podcast, The Spillover Effect. It's a shameless plug for anyone that needs to uh, subscribe to that. I suggest you all look that up. Um, but we are here today actually to talk about kind of our new normal for work and mm -hmm. home life. Um, yes. Pandemic numbers are starting to shrink. Vaccinations are becoming more available. Events and gatherings are just being rescheduled at a rapid speed. Um, and we need to make sure that we are recentered in our own mental health and our families as well. So, most of your work covers mental health awareness. You do coaching and mental health as it relates to employee and business relationships. Um, and I'd just like to dive right in if you don't mind. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, we really focus on with my uh, consulting group is we really focus on mental health and well-being in the workplace. So that's that's my specialty. And uh, we, we wrap a lot of training and coaching around what mental health and, and well-being looks like for employees. So that's from, from, that's from executives to middle managers all the way to frontline workers. And we, uh, the biggest thing is really about mental health promotion and prevention, and then also doing inter intervention, which is extremely important now in the, in the workplace. And so um, it's just something that I'm very passionate about. I, it is much needed, as you just talked about. Uh, we just went through a pandemic, and uh, as, I, as I constantly state, we uh, globally went through something that was very traumatic as a human race, right? Mm -hmm. And so now um, we are getting loads of people who are struggling and who are really suffering from uh, mental illness. And so how, how do we deal with that in terms of um, our families and, and an individual? And then how do we deal with that in institutions? And particularly for me, how do we deal with that in workplaces? And it seems like it starts with ourselves too. You know, we have to make sure we're taking those steps to practice healthy mental wellness techniques um, and on and on. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there are um, maybe under the surface stigmas that might prohibit us from pursuing some of those things. Um, I'd love to talk about what stigmas you think are associated with mental health and then also mental health in the workplace. Um, yeah. And then maybe how those stigmas have been changed or challenged over the past year. Yeah, great, great question. So one of the things with mental health is usually when we see mental health, and this is perpetuated in our media and even in our communities a lot of times, is the first thing when we think of mental health, we really think of uh, somebody who is violent or they're gonna hurt me or somebody is going to uh, uh, 
do something that's sporadic that makes me really uncomfortable. So really the, one of the first things that happens initially when you hear about mental health is it comes from a very negative, very standpoint in terms of that stigma. And so what happens is that stigma is played out in the workplace, right? Um, so if you're dealing with a mental illness, say in terms of you're dealing with the two most common uh, mental illness that we know of are depression and anxiety. So if you're dealing with that in the workplace, it's wrapped around stigma in the workplace. So if I'm suffering from that or if I'm struggling with some type of depression or anxiety, I don't want to tell any of my coworkers or my managers because they might look at it as I'm being weak. Right. And so there that stigma in the workplace of I'm, I'm weak or I'm suffering from this or if I do tell somebody, maybe I won't get that promotion that I thought I was going to get or people think I'm not going to be as productive. And so that's the stigma that comes with it in the workplace. And so one of the things that um, you see in workplaces, too, and this is why we need so much of this. Uh, mental health and well-being in the workplace is because people don't know how to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, a, if a colleague comes and tells you, hey, I have uh, generalized anxiety. I, when, when I'm in certain situations, I get anxiety. Or maybe I have social anxiety when there's more than, you know, seven people in a room, I get a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so if you tell a manager that, the manager's like, I don't know how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we need to have some promotion and some awareness and some training and some coaching around, all right, if you do have uh, one of your colleagues or one of your coworkers come tell you that, how to deal with it. The second thing is that you see with uh, a lot of businesses and a lot of organizations is they don't know how to access care. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if my colleague or my coworker does come to me and tell me this, well, how do you access care? Most people go to their EAP programs. That's what most people do. But what you, you find out is a lot of uh, organizations do not promote the EAPs. So they don't even know that they have an EAP. They don't even know what that means to have that employee assistance program. So uh, there's a lot wrapped around that stigma. That's what you see. And you see it starting to play out. Now, what we, what we are starting to see because of the pandemic is the stigma is starting to be removed because now we have to talk about it. Right. It has to be a it has to be a conversation around this because people want to be able to be able to say, hey, I'm struggling with some depression or I'm struggling with anxiety about coming back into the office and feeling safe. And so it's what is what it's doing is accelerating the conversation around mental health and well-being. Well, and thank goodness, because as you just mentioned, it's been a conversation that's been long overdue. And um, I've said this many times, but there are some silver linings of the pandemic, and I hope that this is one of them, these open conversations. Mm -hmm. Because what I'm hearing you say is on both sides, on the employer side and on the employee side, these stigmas are fear-based. And they're yeah, 100%. Are yeah, there's ways to overcome on both sides, but getting through that fear barrier is the hardest part is what it sounds like. Yeah, and, and that's where that's where somebody like like myself can come in and say, hey, let's have conversations. So let's do some promotion awareness around uh, around mental health and, and well-being. So, for example, one of the things that I think is just you can just start is start a conversation around mental health like 
maybe do one story a month for six months around mental health. Like start with start with that. Ask, you know, ask, ask somebody in your company if you you yourself or if you know anybody or you have family member or friends, can they tell their story around mental health in the workplace? And, and, and let's do a story around that and let's do it for six months just to create some awareness and create that conversation. If we can create the conversation, then what it does, it takes that fear, it takes that stigma out of mental health. Maybe opens the door to some relatability, which we all would like to have. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because, and that's good that you do say that, because there's nothing like when somebody else is dealing with something, and you like, man, I didn't know they was dealing with that, and I'm experiencing the same anxiety, and I didn't know they had those anxiety symptoms too, and they are dealing with it, and now I can go talk to them. And now I have a, a, a camaraderie with this person. I feel like we can develop a relationship because we're going through the same things. So that's perfect insight on, on your part. Yes, yeah. And we all want that partner at work too. It makes us feel more empowered in our own careers when we have somebody that we can confide in or that can just be a good advocate for us when we don't feel strong enough to be that for ourselves. And it sounds like being open and, and showing a little bit of vulnerability, even though that might not be the default feeling when you're at work, can be healthy. Yeah, because for so long, we've um, been taught not to be vulnerable at work. Right. We've been taught, you come into work, you do your job and you leave. And this is where I get into work-life integration because you have to really deal with the whole person. And so it's hard for me to separate my work life and then my home life. Like those two go hand in hand. And if anything, if anything, the pandemic has also shed light on is how important these two things go hand in hand, right? Like I'm on a Zoom call and you see my kid running in the background or you see my dog eating some food or my cat just came across the screen. <laughs> now you really see what my life is like on an everyday basis while I'm trying to get work done. And so uh, you, you, the, the pandemic has shed light on that. For sure. Well, and that's a great segue into my next question, um, because I would love to talk about uh, how you have seen the workforce shift over the past year as it relates to families, especially through the lens of that work from home that you just talked about, um, child care challenges. We've all been in that situation where uh, our child or pet has been running through the back of our screen um, when we're in a serious Zoom call or meeting or interview like this. <laughs> We all know what that feels like. I'm hoping you can give us some perspective from an HR standpoint as well. Um, how do you see this past year affecting that revered work-life balance, um, maybe both positively and negatively as well? Yeah, so negatively. And so I was just, uh, I'll start with there first. So I was just, we was just talking about this. Negatively, what you see with remote work is uh, you, you, you are seeing and from the research um, this loneliness piece where people feel extremely lonely and can get isolated from their team, right? They, they get isolated from feeling like they uh, uh, are, are part of a team. They feel like, you know, um, I'm not going to be able to do any career advancement because nobody really knows how I work. I'm just efficient at my job, but they don't really know what, what I do. And so from that standpoint, that, that, which is loneliness is a, a mental health issue yeah. because when a person is lonely, that usually falls into depression, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and that's where we have to deal with that 
mental health issues. So that's how that's affecting families. And so if I'm dealing with a mental health issue, does that affect my relationship with my spouse? A hundred percent, right? Does that affect my relationship, um, how I am interacting with my kids? A hundred percent, right? I interact. So if I'm feeling lonely, if I'm starting to see these uh, symptoms of depression, it affects my family. On the positive side of what's happened in terms of how it's affecting the families is that we are getting to spend more time with our families, mm -hmm. right? Because of the flexibility. And this is where it's becoming problematic with some organizations because a lot of employees saying, if you're not allowing me to continue this flexibility, I don't wanna work for you. Because the positive aspect is I can be flexible in terms of getting my kids to school, um, uh, maybe spending a little bit more time with my spouse in the morning or maybe in the evening because I have that flexibility. One of the, one of the biggest things I always say, you have to allow people to work um, in terms of what is best for them and how they get work done. Some people, so for example, for me, I do my best work between eight and one o'clock, right? So one o'clock, <laughs> right one o'clock, yeah, for some reason, I just seem to tap out. And then I get another boost of energy after six. I don't know what it is. After six, after like dinner time, after six, from about six to 10, I'm like, I'm, I'll go for another four hours. And so that's how I, I tell get- I you, Michael, my toddler keeps that same schedule. <laughs> He's yeah. nonstop from the morning till about one, then he takes his nap. So maybe we all yeah. just need that afternoon nap and then burst of energy in the evening. And then a burst of energy again, yeah. <laughs> And so, but I know some people that works great at night, like right. they are night owls. Like I, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a night owl, I'm a morning person and they work great at night. And so that's why you see some people say, uh, I seen that you send me an email at midnight. Yeah, because that's when they're doing their best work. Right. So you see in the, the flexibility part is extremely positive and people are able to uh, get stuff done and really work on their own time. And so that's affecting families because now um, you're more involved uh, in your kid's life um, and you're more involved with, if you, if you have a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend, you can you can be there for them. And so that's how we see in that affect, affect families. Yeah. Well, and any of it, all of us, I think a majority of our listeners um, are two income households. And so some of those challenges, um, but also positive points are are very relevant because, you know, when you're <laughs> passing like a ship in the night with your spouse or um, your partner, it's hard to reconnect. And so having those mm -hmm. moments where you can have some breakfast together as a family, yes. or you're not running late for dinner, you know, trying to beat the rush hour traffic, those are very valuable items to talk about. So I appreciate you mentioning yeah. that. So Metro Families editor Aaron Page put together a fantastic article at the end of 2020. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's still on our website. Um, it's called Collateral Damage, the Effect of the Pandemic on Working Moms. Um, a mutual friend of you and you and me, Michael, and fellow HR consultant Matt Tipton was one of the contributors. Yeah, Matt. I love, I love Matt. Matt is, Matt is great. Me and Matt, my, my podcast studio is in the same office as him. So that's oh, where I'm I always go and walk down and see Matt. And so we have these yeah. great conversations about HR and then just consulting work. 
you guys do have a lot in common. You both have a very yeah. uh, refreshing perspective on um, the way that workforces could be and should be um, in, in the work-life balance and mental health being at the front of that. Um, and in the article, I'm going to use a quote. Um, Matt, this is a quote from Matt. We've seen a rise in the diversity of the workforce, which includes women in higher positions, but we're likely going to see a reverse of that as a lot of women have had to step back. We talked about two income households and working moms, and it just gets so hard. Many moms especially are going to quit their jobs because it's not worth it trying to juggle employers who aren't being helpful, aren't being flexible, or trying to cut their pay. This kind of overwhelm was very real even before the pandemic. And now I'm thinking it's just at an all time high, that frustration and burnout, um, which obviously mm -hmm. leads into our conversation about mental health as well. So with that change to work from home, it seems to no longer be just workplace burnout. You mentioned this even, it's inevitably seeping into our family lives too. I feel like when our own cup is not full, we're just not able to be the parents that we're striving to be, to be the partner that we know we can be. Um, and it's hard to recharge and refuel when we are stretched thin in so many different directions. So I'd love to talk with you about some telltale signs when you're reaching that level of burnout and maybe some go-to tips to confront, address, um, and combat that feeling. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, so so one of, the, one of the things is um, it makes me sad to see that women have to tap out of the workforce. So that's the first thing, because what we see in research and in leadership is that what they're finding out is that women leaders are, are more uh, capable leaders than men, which is really interesting. That is interesting. Um, yeah, which is extremely, extremely, extremely interesting. And so for the for women to happen to tap out because of, um, especially young mothers, having to tap out because they have to take care of their children uh, makes me extremely sad. On the, burn, on the burnout thing, um, so here's some of the signs that you can look for to burn out uh, in terms of employees. Uh, they start to feel overworked. They feel like uh, they feel overworked, they feel overwhelmed, they, they feel like they can't get their work done is because they have too, too much of a burden in terms of work. Uh, the second thing that you usually uh, see, and I call these negative Nancys. And I don't know if you ever worked with an employee, like every time y'all go to the meeting, Everybody knew in the meeting who was going to be negative, right? Yeah. It don't matter how it, it doesn't matter how great the idea is, right? Or that person was going to be negative, and so the the negative Nancy thing, um, you see a very negative attitude towards colleagues, and you see a negative attitude towards customers. Mm -hmm. So if, if I'm working directly with customers. Um, I, I even have a negative attitude towards customers. And so that's a telltale sign of a person that's a burnt out because you see the behavior. Um, the other thing, and I have, I have even been there as being a social worker and having to deal with clients on an everyday basis is that you just stop caring. Yeah. You, just, you just stop caring about your job. You stop caring about what you're doing and you... Um, you really just you really just tap out and it becomes more of I just getting a paycheck, right? 
And so those are uh, just some of the, the, the surface level things in terms of uh, things that we see happen uh, psychologically around attitudes and then the behaviors that start to play out around burnout. Now, how do, how do we deal with, with, with burnout? That's the question. So uh, there's, there's three things that I, um, because of my background in positive psychology, because I tell people uh, positive psychology for me is like my tools. I, I, I look at myself like a, a, a mechanic and I have certain tools. And so my tools that I use is positive psychology because positive psychology looks at um, what is right with people instead of wrong with them. I like to call it the science of what is right with people because it's very evidence-based. And so there's three things that I look at when I look at um, burnout. Because one of the first things that people don't understand about burnout, burnout is really um, deeply entrenched um, and it's a lot of responsibility is put on the culture in which you in. So it's not always the individual. It's the culture in which you have that individual mm -hmm. in, right? Mm -hmm. So so the first thing that I really look at is how we how we really combat that and we counter burnout is is this person having a positive experience at work? So that's where my positive my motto is positive workplace experience, right? So is this person having positive emotions? So when they go to their job, are they experiencing kindness? Do they feel a sense of joy? Do they have a sense of laughter? Like these are positive emotions that I should be experienced. So through the research, it says the ratio should be three to one in terms of my positive experiences. Will you have some negative experiences? Do you have your good days and your bad days? 100% at work. But I should have more positive experiences at work than I do negative experiences. And so you see the burnout happens when more people have more negative experiences or negative emotions at work, and that creates burnout. So my, what my number one starter is, is this, can we get this person to have more positive experiences at work? And how do we do that? We have to change, the culture has to be different. So that's why I put a lot of onus on organizations because that culture is really dictating how that person really works and what they feel like and are they having a positive experience at work. So culture plays a big part of that. The second thing I look at, do they have positive meaning? So um, uh, do they feel like their work matters, right? Um, what you find out is a lot of people, when I talk about you don't care no more, a lot of people feel like their work don't even matter anymore. So we have to go back to how can we have how can we help people find positive meaning in work? And what, is, what, is that, what does that uh, look like? So one of the things that I, that I usually start with with positive meaning is really understanding what your strengths are. You know, are you really focusing on your strengths? And that'll give you, give you some, some type of meaning. So you have to have some positive meaning. And then the last, um, the last one I always uh, like to say is positive relationships. So this, once again, goes back to culture. Um, how am I interacting with my colleagues? We like to call them high quality connections. Mm -hmm. Am I having high quality connections at work? Uh, is my experience um, with my colleagues, is it good? Are my relationships great? Here's what, here's what we know also through the research. People stay at jobs longer when they feel like they have a friend at work. Oh yeah, 
Oh yeah. <laughs> the research the research says that, right? Mm -hmm. A person will stay at a job longer if they feel like they have a friend at work. That's all about. And then if not only is it a friend, is it a high quality connection? Is it a high quality relationship? And if they do, like people tend to stay on their their jobs longer. They tend to uh, have a sense of job satisfaction because of that positive relationship. So those three things is what how I really like to attack burnout. Um, one of the things that I'm doing with a lot of clients now and a lot of organizations, I've just created a new program and I'll call it mental fitness at work. So just like physical fitness, like if you exercise, there's certain things you do every day in your exercise regimen, right? Mm -hmm. To feel physically fit, where there are certain things that we can do to help us stay mentally fit and it really helps with our mental health as a whole and our well-being. So, um, so I'm really enjoying starting to do do that that program because what what it does is, and the reason why I didn't say mental health at work is because the mental fitness really um, it really helps with taking the stigma out of just saying mental health. Let's talk about mental fitness, and then we can talk about mental health within that. So, right? No, I love that, and it it has that implication that you know, just like regular physical fitness, it's a muscle that you can exercise. And there are like, there's things you do to warm up. There's things you do to test yourself and challenge yourself a little bit. And then the feeling of accomplishment when that happens seems like it does have, <laughs> I actually didn't mean this as, a, but your podcast is called The Spillover Effect. It does have that Still, spillover effect. It has, has the spillover. <laughs> there you go. So, there you go. That's what, that's what we want. We want it to spill over. Right that that positive mental health to spill over into your everyday life that's right. that's that's the that's my goal for you to have a positive experience at work and for it to spill over into your family that's mm -hmm. that's my goal of what i what i do in terms of when i talk about uh the, the, the spillover effect and so a lot of things that i talk about in that program is we talk about mental health we talk about stress we talk about those three uh, positive things that I just gave you, positive relationships, positive meaning, and uh, 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 positive emotions. And then we talk about resilience, how important resilience is uh, in the workplace right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those aren't things that everyone is born with. They sometimes do have to be worked on and worked through. So I love that term, mental fitness. We're going to check into that later. I'm sure we'll hear more from you about that later as well. So another point um, that was talked about in the article from our editor, um, collateral damage um, is a statistic that I found very interesting. Women make up 80% of the nearly 1.1 million workers who dropped out of the labor force um, as of September 2020. Um, so obviously that's a huge majority of the already large numbers yeah, that, that I believe. While women's official rates of unemployment fell as of September, that doesn't account for those who left the workforce entirely. Um, and while the overall unemployment rate of women fell to 7.4%, Hispanic and Black women's rates rose to 11 and 11.1% respectively. And those stats are from the US Bureau of Labor Statistics. So those are national statistics. And I provide them to outline how seriously stressful the pandemic was on families, as if we didn't know that already. But now we have these these numbers to relate back to. Um, 
-hmm. and specifically in families of color. And I'm curious to talk to you about what stigmas might exist around mental health, specifically in communities of color. Um, we're seeing the stress through these stats and I'm hoping you can bring it home for us um, in the emotional aspect as well. Yeah, so, so um, being raised uh, in the African-American community and being African-American, um, there, there's a lot of stigmas around uh, mental health and it's getting better, uh, but we still got a long ways to go. And one of the things that um, is such a stigma is, you know, we almost have the stigma in African-American communities and even in Hispanic communities that if you're dealing with something psychologically or emotionally, it's almost like just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm -hmm. And so that that has been the mantra, like, oh, you're dealing with, you know, suffering from depression, just get out of that. It's all about your your, your thoughts and the way you think. Well, people don't know like that's that's a, a disorder that they're dealing with. It's a brain, brain disease. Oh, you're struggling with alcoholism? Like, just pull yourself out of that, stop drinking. Well, I just can't stop drinking. It's a disease, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, in in these, uh, um, you know, people of color has always had this mentality like, uh, be strong. And so, we we have we've been having to overcome that stigma of be strong, and that it's okay to go get help. And so that's that's what you see in these African American and Hispanic uh, communities is um, it's all about being being strong, but but as I would say, being strong is asking for help. Being strong is not asking for help, right? And so um, that's where we're getting better at in understanding, like, you know, it's okay to, to, go, to go get help. And then I think a big part of why we have such a stigma is because we just didn't have the knowledge base. We didn't have the information. We were just never taught. If we did, if we did know that somebody was dealing with something psychologically, emotionally, we just said, "Oh, they're crazy," and just let Uncle Joe be himself, right? And you know, we never got, we never, we never got Uncle Joe any help because we didn't know, we didn't have the information, and so a lot of it is just a lack of lack of knowledge. And so, because of the internet, we do have knowledge now, right? We can go get. Um, the, the information that we need to uh, get the help. And so it's, it's getting better in terms of that, that stigma around that. And really um, people understanding the language behind when you talk about uh, mental health. Uh, the other thing in terms of women, which it, you, when you continue to read those statistics about uh, women and particularly uh, women of color is what you see is um, that uh, they don't have the support system like our more Caucasian uh, brothers and sisters, right? Um, so it's usually uh, the support system is just not there. So if I have to choose between taking care of my kids and working, nine times out of ten, what do you think I'm going to choose? Oh, my kids. <laughs> I'm going to take care of my. I'm going to take care. I'm going. I'm just going to take care of my kids. And I'm gonna I'm, I'm have to figure it out, especially if I'm a young mother or if I'm a single mom. I, I'll just figure it out because my kids and raising my kids and being there for my kids, uh, for the most part, is going to be way is going to be way more important in terms of a value than me having to work for the job. So I'll just go ahead if I need to get some assistance 
while I, I take care of, of my kid. And so that's what you usually see is a lack of social supports uh, in these uh, communities in terms of, you know, uh, African-American communities and uh, his, his Hispanic uh, communities. Is it getting better? Absolutely, it's, it's, it's getting better. But um, when, when you as an organization, because what happens, what organizations are doing is almost making women choose between their job and their family. Thank and you. it's sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sad. So, mm -hmm. so, so what that tells me about that organization, that is not a safe place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's the number one thing is, <laughs> yeah, I should feel, I should be able to feel safe. And I don't feel safe when you, when you put an ultimatum of you either have to, you have to work and make sure you be uh, at this office from eight to five, or for me to be able to take care of my kid because the school is not open and I have to be at home because the school is not open. Like that's an ultimatum. And you should never as an organization put a person in that position, particularly women who are, we know for the most part are the, 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 the caretakers of, of kids. Do we have dads that caretake a hundred percent? Absolutely. But for the, for the most part, if we look at the statistics, it's the majority of the moms that's doing it. So what that, what that, what is a telltale sign to me uh, for organizations, when you give them that ultimatum, you, you're not making it a safe place. And if it's not a safe place, then am I having a positive experience at work? No, <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. no. Yeah. I'm not having a not having a positive experience at work. That's a very negative experience. Mm -hmm. It's a very negative emotion that I'm having, and it's it's sad that uh, a person um, and particularly moms have to be put in that situation. So that's why you see a dropout. Now, the way to help organizations should deal with that is allow for flexibility. Once again, allow them to be able to work when they feel like work. If I have an employee that is extremely productive, why would I give them an ultimatum if they're, if they're being efficient and they're getting their job done? Yeah. Just because of my ego, because I want you to be able to work in an office. Like, that, like you shouldn't put, uh, shouldn't put that person uh, in that position. And so organizations, um, are, all organizations right now are just reevaluating how they're gonna go forth in terms of return to work. And here's what I know. When people are choosing jobs now, they are choosing jobs based on, are you making, making it a safe place? And are you taking in consideration of my well-being? And if you're not taking consideration of my well-being, I do not want to work for you. Yeah. And so that's where that's that's where that's where we at now. Because here's the reality: people are having problems hiring people right now. Yeah. They're having, they're having problems hiring people right now. Mm -hmm. And a big big part of that, and I think going forward, is going to be: Are you taking care of people's well-being? They want to know that. One of the first things I ask organizations: What is your mental health and well-being strategy? Because <laughs> you don't have a. That's a if great you don't question. have a. Yeah. If you don't have a mental health and well-being strategy, it's going to be hard to recruit talent. Mm -hmm. And they want to and they want to know specifically millennials and Gen Zs that's coming up in the workforce. They want to know because they are tapped into. This was why we having this conversation. They are tapped into mental health and well-being. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. they are they are having these conversations. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you for all of that. There, there's so many more questions I want to ask <laughs> after that, after everything you just said. And I just love how all of the all of the conversations we've had up till now have really been about looking in the mirror in different situations. So, um, you know, using your evaluation of your <laughs> positive days versus negative days at work, using your evaluation of your employee-employer relationship. Um, is it, uh, you know, we, we, if you think about it as like a dating relationship, you wouldn't tolerate dating somebody who made you choose between them and your family. So why do you 100%. tolerate that in the workforce? Why is that different? Um, so I really appreciate you pointing out some of those things. And then even just redefining what um, strength looks like, like we mentioned with mental health and wellness in men. Um, there's a lot of things that we are challenging right now and, and thank thank God that it's finally happening, that we're all having these conversations and thinking about these things a little differently. Yeah, so here's, here's what happened within the last year. Here's, here's what happened. What has happened within the last year, everything that we, we believed and we thought of and that we thought was gonna happen maybe 10 years from now has been accelerated in a year. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, what has, that's what has happened. Mm -hmm. So, we thought, oh, well, these things are going to play out in a year. We'll see these things happen in families and in the workplace. But they, all this has happened within a year. Mm -hmm. And so everybody, I mean, everybody is having to reevaluate how they're going to go forward. And some people are not going to do well. And, and, some, and some businesses are going to fall by the wayside. And then some people are going to grab a hold and they're going to say, hey, we, we're, we're going to we're going to reevaluate our situation and we're going to do the best of our ability to make, uh, you know, our workplace positive, uh, make our, our culture great and really um, care about our employees. And so you're going to, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of people, um, you know, having to reevaluate their situation and some are not going to do well and some are going to do well. Some are going to flourish. On that note, um, because you do HR consulting group within your organization um, and creating positive workplace experiences and all of that, can you give us an example of an organization that is doing it really well? It's, I think it might be easy for myself, but some of our listeners as well to um, hear about these ideal workplace examples. Um, but I'm wondering if it's attainable. Do you have examples of, of people that are yeah. doing well? So, so I, I'm going to use I'm going to use one because it's just one of the most popular ones, and I really like this organization, and everybody knows about it, which is Starbucks. Yeah. Right? So, so, and, and I know it's I know it's a global global organization, right? But they have made an initiative and been very proactive about mental health in the workplace, right? Mm -hmm. And so what they did, which I thought was, which I thought was phenomenal, is they um, have an EAP program, which is an employee assistance program. Usually most employee assistance programs, um, they're very short term. And so say if I am, uh, if I am dealing with anxiety, I can go to my EAP and then I can tap into a counselor. I can go see a counselor. Usually with most EAPs, you only get with a counselor three to five sessions, right? So I only get three to five sessions. That's very short, short term. And then after that, 
I have to, I have to really pay for the cost of seeing a counselor. Mm -hmm. What Starbucks did is said, you know what? We're going to give you 20. We're going to give you 20 sessions because what the research says, when you do counseling, you need, but you need between 20 to about 25 uh, sessions in counseling to start to see 50% of any type of behavior change. Wow. Yeah. So Starbucks is starting with, we're going to invest, we're going to invest in you. That's executive, that's mid-level managers, and that's frontline workers. That's the, that's the person making your coffee saying they are, they are able because you work for Starbucks. And this is for also not just full-time employees. This is for part-time employees wow. that are that's able, <laughs> yeah, that are able to go and get 20, 20, 20 counseling sessions uh, dealing with mental health issues. And so I think that's a, a start. And then not only that, they, when I talked about what is your mental health and, and well-being strategy, they put in place programs where you can go and really learn about mental health and have programs to help develop you in terms of your well-being. And so I use Starbucks just because they're one of my one of my favorite uh, organizations to look at and to really show what what they're doing. And what you're starting to see now is a lot of these more global organizations um, are starting to follow that. But but my hope is more small organizations follow that and put money into mental health and well-being because the reality of it is, if your people are not mentally well then you have loss of productivity, you have loss of performance, and it really affects your bottom line. Right. We see when you put money into it, so for every dollar that you put into mental health and well-being, you see $4 come back. That's a great way so, to look at that. Thank you. That's a, right. So you see $4 come back. So, so those are that's one of the businesses that are doing very, very well. And, and, and so the other thing that I think is important, and, um, and I really want to stress this, is that when we hear about mental health, we first go, as I stated earlier, to mental illness. But the reality of it is, that is only part of mental health. Really, if you define mental health and you look at the World Health Organizations, they define, this is how they define mental health. They give you four things how they define it. They define it that you are capable of uh, really living out your potential, that you live and you work fruitfully, and that you, you are capable of dealing with everyday stretchers, and that um, you are really um, investing in the, your community. Those are four things that they look at. It has nothing to do with mental illness. We always go to mental illness mm -hmm. first, mm -hmm. but the reality of it is really mental health is more about you flourishing and what that looks like for you emotionally and psychologically. And so I think it's really important for us to, to, to pinpoint that because one of the things that I do when I work with organizations, I talk about mental health and I talk about mental illness, but what, I, what I'm trying to do is get you really to flourish. I really want you to have positive mental health and that, 
that's just saying well-being. And so that's what that's what we want to see. I want you to I want you to live out your potential. I want you to be able to deal with everyday stressors. I want you to invest in your community. I want you to do these things. And so those are positive mental health. And we don't think about that. So when you when you think about mental health, really think out from a, a spectrum. Like we have mental illness on one side, but then on this other side, we have those who are flourishing. Because here's the reality. Um, we know there's a lot of people who are struggling with a mental illness, but still flourishing. Mental illness does not mean the absence of, uh, excuse me, mental health does not mean the absence of a mental, mental illness. Mm -hmm. People are still struggling every day with a mental illness, but still thrive and still flourish in their workplace. Yes, thank you for pointing that out. Um, we talked about kind of those fear assumptions early on in the podcast. And that, that's true. And a lot of it is under the surface because that's a symptom of the illness. And, and people can, it's not a hindrance from them being their best selves. Um, maybe just with a little more help, they can be there. Yeah, because how, how, how many celebrities do we know are talking about mental health, but still, you yes. know, they work, they do great work, they make great movies, or we even know sports people now that's, that's, that's come out and said they're dealing with mental health and they still... Uh, do the sports and they still flourish and thrive. And so we, we, we have to get out of that mindset. Uh, if I'm struggling or suffering from a mental illness that I still can flourish. And, and yes, you can. You yeah. just have to have the right tools to be able to be able right. to flourish. A lot of times people just don't have the right tools to flourish and they don't know how to do it. Right, right. Michael, I so appreciate everything we've talked about today. Um, I, we're out of time, and I wish I, we, I could talk for, with you for just two more hours. <laughs> we need to have you back on the podcast because this has all been just Absolutely. refreshing. It's been um, great reminders. It's been good reframing for us, um, the way that we talk to ourselves and look at ourselves, but also how we think about others and their own attitudes um, and how we can relate to them better. And, and we're all in a mental health journey. And so every yeah, single 100%. person that we come into contact with, you just don't know what's going on behind the surface. And they're probably dealing with a lot of the same things you are. So having those reminders, I just so appreciate it. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with um, as we close? Yeah, the, the thing is, is I just like to leave with people like, um, so, you know, my podcast is called the Spillover Effect podcast and um you know the subtitle is positive workplace uh experience and the thing i want most is um so although i do hr consulting at the end of the day my goal is about families yeah. my goal is about when you because here's the thing and you sort of said this earlier we spend one third of our life at work that's 33 percent. that's a lot of time it's a lot of time. <laughs> think, yeah, think think of your think of your day. We got twenty four hours in a day, and and, and most of it uh, is spent working. Mm -hmm. If we really think about it, because sometimes we work in eight to ten hours a day. It right. depends on it depends on your job. So that's a lot of time. So my goal is to really have more organizations that create a positive environment. So when people are at home that spills over to their kids, that spills over to our, to our spouse, that spills over to our friends to know that, you know, my work and what I do, um, they care about me. Because here's, here's what happened. If you don't have a, a positive workplace experience, 
what happens is you start to have a negative and what it does is sheds light on um, in terms of your kids looking at you and looking up to you like I don't want to work because mom and daddy is always having a bad experience at work and when they go to work they come home in a bad mood or when they work and they're not engaged engage with me or they don't want to interact with me after they work and so that really creates a bad picture of, of working <laughs> and right. so what I want what I want most is for people to have a really positive experience at work and for that to spill over into their family life because I think that is so important. That is a great way to say that. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, I'm, I'm working for you, I'm doing all this work for you, but then if you come home with the attitude that you just hate your life, <laughs> it's not very good. It doesn't feel, and it paints a picture for kids, like, right. why do I want Why do I want to work? I don't want to do that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really great way to think about that. And leaving that legacy of um, seeking fulfillment no matter if you're at home or at work, that's a very positive example to leave behind for your kids. So thank you. Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. Michael, I so appreciate your time. Once again, for those of you listening, you can learn more about Michael on his website, www.dickersoncg.com or on Facebook, it's Dickerson Consulting Group. Be sure to tune into his podcast. If I haven't mentioned it about 17 times already, I am a huge fan of the spillover effect, which can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. Michael, thank you again. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah, thank you.